The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 285 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is why family caregivers should care for their family's genetic inheritance data. Family genetic inheritance data is information. It's information that's embedded in all of the processes our bodies involve in transferring our characteristics to our children. It's information that's stored as a code carried by a chemical substance called DNA that's part of our body's cells. And it's information that has enormous power. It's power that was dramatically displayed by England's King Richard III, who died 500 years ago. You see, in 2012, his body was discovered during excavations of a car park in England. His DNA was then analyzed to identify his family genetic heritage, which was then used to successfully link him to a Canadian citizen currently living in Canada. King Richard III's story warns us that our family genetic heritage information outlives us and our children and their children's children and so on and so on which is why our topic today, why family caregivers should care for their family's genetic inheritance data, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Dr. Marcy Donofsky and Dr. Jeff Niska. Marcy is Executive Director of the Center for Genetics and Society in the U.S. A Ph.D. is from the History of Consciousness program at the University of California, Santa Cruz. She communicates widely on the politics of human biotechnology, focusing on their implications for social justice and public interest. She's written for The Nation, Democracy, Harvard Law and Policy Review, and many other publications. She's appeared on numerous television, radio, and online news shows, and has been interviewed for hundreds of articles. She's worked as an organization, sorry, as an organizer and advocate in various environmental and progressive political movements. And she's taught courses at Sonoma State University and at California State University East Bay. Now, Jeff is professor of obstetrics gynecology at the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry, Western University and scientist. Health Research Institute in Canada. He holds the MD, PhD, FRCSC, and FCAHS qualifications. 
He's been awarded Canadian Institutes of Health Research and Genome Canada grants to explore ethical and social issues in reproductive medicine, genetics, and exposure of pregnant women to environmental toxins. He's held a Canadian Institutes of Health Research and Health Canada grant for exploring public engagement for citizen deliberation regarding pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. He's written or co-written over 150 scientific articles and book chapters, and he's written seven plays which have been performed throughout Canada, as well as in the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, and South Africa. So welcome to the show, Marcy and Jeff. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Okay. Now let's start with you, Marcy, please. Please tell us a little bit more about your life, your career, and of any experience you have with family caregiving. Marcy? Okay, well, you know, I was thinking that it's so serendipitous to be talking with you about family caregiving today, because over this past weekend, my 95-year-old mother-in-law was able to return to her home after being in the hospital in a rehabilitation center for over two months. And um, in the course of that, Boy, my husband and I have been encountering all the challenges that we've heard about from so many of our friends and others, um, you know, making sure from a distance from where she lives that she has the care she needs and also the independence that she wants and trying to figure out how to do this in a way that our family can afford. So uh, that's been on my mind a lot. Um, my own mother is about to turn 85, and... I am trying hard to follow some wise advice that was given to me by a friend who, who uh, had a difficult experience caring for her aging parents. And that advice, um, which she told me when uh, I told her that my mother was in her mid-80s, was enjoy your mother's youth. So I'm trying to do that. Um, yeah. I, I was also really glad when I talked with you earlier, Gordon, to learn that Family Caregivers Unite has a definition of caregivers that includes more than just being about our elders. Um, I think like many people, I learned a huge amount about what it means to be a caregiver from my experiences as a mother. And as we move into our topic today of genetic testing, of course, there's a lot of issues that come up in the context of deciding, deciding to become a parent and caring for our children that have to do with those, those genetic testing right. issues. Yeah. Absolutely right. Now, Jeff, please, you tell us more about your life, career, and any experience you have with family caregiving. Jeff? Well, again, it's, it's, it's almost a uh, coincidence that um, my new play, which I've researched and worked on for over 10 years, has to do with the lack of access, of equal access, even in Canada, um, to assistive technologies that would allow people to remain in their homes and to have health promotion ongoing while having the benefits of being cared for uh, by loved ones. And, um, and this, you know, it's, it's, it struck me, um, through this play, the importance of family caregiving, and I, and I talk about how how I had really no idea of this until a woman in a power chair 
crashed into me in the hall in the hospital and said, hey, doc, who writes plays, write one about me and the way I'm treated outside of hospital because she didn't have access to family caregiving and to a supportive health system that recognizes the home as a place deserving of financial support so that optimal health promotion and care can occur. Right. In other words, to both of you, you've been been there, done that, seen that, and experienced that, and that's very powerful. Now, Marcy, I'd like you to tell us about your work as the Executive Director of the Centre for Genetics and Society. Marcy, please. Sure. Well, the Centre for Genetics and Society is a non-profit uh, organization, an information and public affairs organization. We're based in Berkeley, California, although we're not part of the university here. We're independent. And we uh, focus on, our work is focused on encouraging responsible uses and effective social governance policies um, over human genetic and assisted reproductive technologies. So it's a range of issues, a range of practices and technologies, and we come to them from a perspective that is grounded in social justice, human rights, and public interest values. And we believe that the issues that are posed by these range, these, this range of powerful new technologies really call for new kinds of understanding and new kinds of social and political engagement on the part of individuals and families and public interest organizations and policymakers. Um, so we're working on that. We're working with a network of um, scholars, scientists, health professionals, civil society leaders, and others, and one of the things that makes this work so interesting is that in all those sectors, people come from across disciplines. So when we work with scholars, we're working with sociologists, anthropologists, legal scholars, people in women's studies, um, international policy. And when we work with civil society uh, organizations, we're working with advocates for reproductive rights, health, and justice, disability rights, children's rights, racial justice, environmentalists, and, and others. And we come at this with um, the attitude that we want to support uh, beneficial uses and applications of these powerful technologies, but that we are concerned about misunderstandings and misuses of genetic te technologies, including genetic testing. Um, so no, we'll talk I'm, more I'm, about that, yeah. Yeah, Marty, I'm only going to interrupt you there because of the tyranny of time, but we are going to talk about, as you say, about those key topics. Now, Jeff, please tell us about your work as a professor of obstetrics gynecology and as a researcher in genetics in a prominent teaching hospital. Jeff? Well, I'm going to pick up on Marcy's powerful new technologies because this is, is, is sort of... of uh, the crux of my research, um, that as these new technologies develop, it is my opinion that the technology and the science and the marketing of the new technologies by those who would profit from them frequently outstrips the ethics and social considerations and these technologies are implemented without a thoughtful process engaging many citizens as to how these technologies should be implemented. And, and genetics 
for example, is what Marcy was referring to. But then on the other side, as new technologies develop for health promotion, I believe that there should be access to these technologies. For example, disabled people, no matter what their income, should be able to, when they're at home, have one of these automated air mattresses so they don't get bed sores. Yet this technology is not necessarily available to all. Frequently, unfortunately, outside of hospital, it's frequently only available to those who can afford it or have the insurance. Now, these are very, very powerful points, and we're going to move on to discuss them and analyze them. But what you both set up, I think, is um, the understanding that this, first of all, is complex, involves a lot of people, and involves some social and political issues, if I may say so, that really do need to be discussed. Now, on that point, um, we have a little duty. We have to take the short break because we have to pay our rent. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Natalie, and my guests are Dr. Marcy Donofsky and Dr. Jeff Niska. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com What does success mean to you? Is it being just like the person on the other side of the fence where the grass is supposedly greener? We harbor too many feelings of envy and suppressed anger targeted at others, and it's holding us back from our success. Tune in to Wealthy Thoughts with Richard Levy. Just by listening, you'll be empowered to make positive lifestyle changes to live the successful life that you deserve to live. Wealthy Thoughts can be heard every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in every week for the Wellness Lounge, a step further with host Desiree Watson. Our program empowers you to incorporate a wellness lifestyle into your life, supported by a diverse selection of guests, including physicians, athletes, and education and government professionals, while helping you realize the connection between mind, body, and spirit. You'll achieve a personal edge in injury avoidance, stress management, and personal development. The Wellness Lounge, a step further, airs Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Marcy Danofsky and Dr. Jeff Niska. Our topic is why family caregivers should care for their family's genetic inheritance data. So now let's talk about the benefits and risks associated with the use of families' genetic inheritance data. Marcy, let's start with you. Please highlight the benefits that come from research into families' genetic inheritance data. Marcy? Well, I think it might be helpful to answer by talking a little bit about the different kinds of genetic testing that is occurring today and um, the fact that these tests are conducted in different venues for different purposes and that they're carried out on people at different stages of life as well as on embryos and fetuses. And for each of these kinds of genetic tests, there are particular or there can be particular benefits and also risks and challenges. Um, So let me quickly break that down a bit. Um, First of all, there are genetic tests that are carried out as part of reproductive decisions, including carrier testing on prospective parents, genetic testing of embryos if you are in a situation of doing in in vitro fertilization, prenatal genetic testing of fetuses, which of course, opens up the question then of possibly terminating a pregnancy. Um, But that may also help parents accept and prepare to welcome a a child with special needs. Um, There's also genetic testing on uh, children and adults uh, if a doctor is trying to find out what's causing a problem. And each of those raises particular uh, hopes and risks. For for children, for example, it may be a, a, a step toward diagnosis, but children may not be able to understand what's happening and be able to give what we call informed consent. Um, Then there are the different venues of genetic testing in a medical context, in a research project, and a very controversial venue is what's called direct-to-consumer genetic testing. Um, That's you can go online and uh, pay some money and send you'll get a kit in the mail, you send in some spit, and you'll get back a report based on your genetic, part of your genetic sequence that uh, purports to tell you things about your ancestry, your health, or other traits, and that the various companies sometimes portray as a health device or as something you do for entertainment. So it's a complicated picture, and it's a complicated set of concerns that are raised. Thanks. Very helpful. Now, Jeff, Please highlight the benefits that come from medical treatments that use or rely on families' genetic inheritance data. Jeff? So they occur at two times. One um, would be um, after birth, where um, sometimes, not very often, mind you, um, a particular knowledge... Um, of genetics in a child that's having difficulty after birth uh, might tailor what particular um, treatment uh, would uh, be available for the specific um, challenge that the child um, has. It could be tailored a bit. Um, But actually, that's not very common. Probably the most uh, common uh, benefit from genetic testing has been Uh, cancer prevention, Um, mostly breast and ovarian cancer, but also some bowel and other cancers. Um, Through 
doing a diagnosis for a, the BRCA gene mutation. And this is a very powerful uh, condition that runs in families. And a daughter of a mother who has died of breast cancer in her 30s or 40s. So this is a type of cancer that occurs in young women. And half the, the women in the family have this cancer, um, or 40%. It really, it really gives the opportunity, if you are tested for it, after serious genetic counseling. Uh, genetic counseling is absolutely essential, in my opinion, for all genetic um, testing. Um, it gives her the opportunity of having increased surveillance so she can have an MRI instead of um, uh, mammograms, which don't work in young women. Um, and, and it brings attention to the importance of inheritance so that even if you've got one of these family histories where 40% of women have uh, breast cancer or ovarian cancer because it's the same gene mutation, then even if you test negative, it doesn't matter. You still have that risk and should still qualify for magnetic resonance imaging of your breasts and ultrasound of your ovaries on a regular basis rather um, than other strategies, which really don't work. So it's a prevention type of, type of uh, gives opportunities uh, for increased surveillance and, and other prevention strategies. Right. Now, Marcy, please highlight the risks that may arise if the genetic inheritance data of families is collected and compiled into big databases, but is inaccurate or it's insufficiently protected. What are the risks? Mm. Marcy? Yeah, that's a very big question. (laughs) And let me start by dividing it into um, the two risks that you mentioned, inaccurate and insufficiently protected. Um, and inaccurate can also mean a couple of different things. Uh, I think um, when we talk about accuracy, one thing it can mean is just that the test is reading out the sequence of bases in the DNA uh, accurately, that if it finds uh, one chemical, if it says it finds one chemical, that's the chemical that's really there in your genetic sequence. But that actually isn't the main concern when we talk about accuracy of genetic tests. The main concern is the interpretation of the vast amounts of data that now can be produced at a pretty cheap, uh, pretty inexpensively. And when you come to interpretation, what the heck does this information mean? That's where we are really not sure yet in most cases. Now, as Jeff mentioned, there are some um, relatively rare uh, genetic conditions and some relatively rare forms of inherited cancer where finding out that you have a particular gene mutation or variant can be really important. But for much of the uh, interpretation that we now get from genetic testing, it's, it's not that robust. We don't really know. We don't know if a particular, in, men, in most cases, if a particular genetic variation is going to cause any particular problem later in life. And if we know that it does, we don't know when or how severe it will be. So there's a lot of insert uncertainty in the interpretations that are being made now based on genetic data. And they can lead to some very big problems for individuals and families and also for society. We can start to think that um, 
that our DNA defines who we are and start not paying attention to personal experience and cultural upbringing and, and that kind of thing. So we sometimes call that genetic determinism. And we can start moving towards um, an overemphasis in thinking about medical treatment, uh, about the contributions of genes. And again, that uh, is a matter of emphasis, but it can be very dangerous. The second thing that you mentioned, Gordon, when we began this was about insufficient protection of genetic data. And there we get into a whole uh, series of questions about what's sometimes called genetic privacy and genetic discrimination, the risk that finding out genetic information could lead people who have um, some power in your life, um, an employer, an insurer, to discriminate against you or against uh, a family member based on the perceived risk from this test that you might develop a disease, say a disease like uh, cancer or a disease like Alzheimer's. Whether or not that information is accurate or reliable, the, the risk of genetic discrimination is quite real. Right. Now I'm going to, again, we have the problem of time. Key, key points, Marcy. Now, Jeff, please highlight the ways in which physicians generally view the risks that may arise if the genetic inheritance data of families that they're using or relying on for the people they're treating, whether that, how they view the point that the data, as Marcy mentioned, might be inaccurate or it might be insufficiently protected. In other words, how do physicians re review the risks? Jeff? Well, the main problem is, is that physicians are really not part of most of this new type of genetic um, world that's out there by spitting in a bottle and sending it off, and either are genetic counselors. There's really nobody to give feedback to a woman who, who is going from a, you know, a direct-to-consumer marketing site and gets this genetic information. Um, it's very difficult, um, almost impossible in Canada, but there may be access, at least for people with, with financial means or insurance companies, to a private genetic counselor in the United States. But the, the data is so um, gray that it doesn't really enter into the healthcare system um, with physicians. And, I mean, I've written about, I've written about the problems uh, with this type of, uh, of diagnosis and, and, and any of these new type of diagnosis technologies in three full-length plays, um, which I'll make available to your, to your listeners on, on the website. There's just so many issues, and physicians generally are not part of it or are genetic counselors. It's just, it's just sort of hype, and it's just sort of... of, um, of things that get out there and where a person trying to find this inter information on the internet or other sources has really difficult a uh, difficult time navigating what's real what isn't real what should be tested for obviously if there's tests out there physicians must think they're important but that's not the case that's just what people think by going on the internet physicians have, have very little input into a lot of these new tests that are coming out just to sort of support the points that you've both been making with a particular reference, and that is just down the street from where I'm sitting, 
there is a store in a plaza, a shopping plaza, that uh, advertises services for the obese. And one of the services it offers is genetic profiling. And I don't think, I can see no evidence whatsoever, Marcy and Jeff, that there's any physician or counselor involved in any of that. And I think it goes exactly to the points that you've been making. And it raises some, I think, questions of public administration. And I think these questions apply both in the U.S. and in Canada. Now, having said my piece, I'm going to take the break um, because I want to come back to the things that can be done. So, we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Marcy Danofsky and Dr. Jeff Niska. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Where can you find wisdom in the little conversations of every moment in a show? One that brings you golden nuggets that you can apply towards your burning desires, life, and success. Tune in to Little Conversations Today with host Dan Deegan. Our program will provide amazing breakthroughs in your life and help bring you closer to your dreams. Set your internal conversation GPS and tune in to Little Conversations Today, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're changing lives through the power of Little Conversations. There are 13 unbreakable habits of truly enlightened people. These life-changing habits are discussed on Dream the Life, Live the Dream with Dr. Yomi Garnett. We'll offer an excursion in self-discovery along with wisdom that will allow you to stay on the correct path toward your destiny. You can find excellence in your life. Tune in every Thursday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time. That's 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for this exciting transformational journey. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc.com. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Marcy Donofsky and Dr. Jeff Niska. Our topic is why family caregivers should care for their family's genetic inheritance data. Now, let's explore why and how family caregivers should do their caring. Um, and let me start, first of all, by asking Marcy, why should family caregivers care for their family genetic inheritance data that's being collected for research. Marcy? The information that you get from a genetic test actually pertains not only to you as an individual, but to all biologically related members of your family as well. And, you know, since there can be such important 
medical and psychological and privacy consequences about learning that information, um, if you share it with your family members, or even if you don't share it, but your family members know that you have received this genetic information, then in fact, when you decide to get a genetic test, you're making a decision that affects others in your family as well as yourself. And I think that's something really important to keep in mind that often is lost um, in these discussions about to test or not to test. And I, I did want to um, recall one story from what is now uh, the early days of this direct-to-consumer genetic testing, but it only took place a few years ago in 2010. And this was when there was a PBS show about ancestry testing, using DNA tests to try to determine, supposedly, where your ancestors came from. Now, there's certain, again, limited uses for this and certain things that this kind of testing can tell you about your legacy and your ancestry and many things that some of the reports say that actually aren't very, very reliable or accurate. But at this time, with this show in 2010 on, P- on the public broadcasting service, there was quite a lot of enthusiasm, and, there was w- and many celebrities were being get, uh, taking these tests and then commenting on what they were told about them. But there was one writer who decided she would not take the test, and that was Louise Erdrich, the writer. So Louise Erdrich is, um, is Ojibwa. Uh, that's a, one of the Native American tribes. And um, she talked about that identity. She said that, you know, she believes her identity is a very complicated mixture of what you grow up with, what you find out about yourself. And she said that she didn't really think that doing the genetic testing would do any harm to her identity based on her Ojibwa ancestry, but she went and asked her extended family, her family members, about it, and they told her, most of them without any doubt, this is a permission that is not yours to give, Louise. And so she heeded that warning and decided that she would not have a gene test. So I think it is something very important to keep in mind that all the risks about um, oh uh, coming up with you know uh, inaccurate predictions of risk or inaccurate strategies for improving your health, uh, all the risks about uh, genetic privacy and genetic discrimination, that those are risks that to some extent your family members as well as you would face if you decided to take a genetic test. Yeah, yeah. How should family caregivers care for their family's genetic inheritance data when research is being collected for research? Marcy? Well, I think it's important whenever you get a genetic test um, in any setting, uh, for example, in a medical setting, in, in a medical setting, to ask the doctor or healthcare professional whether um, whether the uh, procedure that you're about to be that that is being recommended involves genetic testing at all, and if it does, um, what what does that mean? How is the personal genetic information handled? Um, who has access to it? Uh, do other healthcare professionals have access to it? Is it combined with your health records? Um, this is a proposal in the UK right now, for example, that all people who are cared for under the National Health Service will automatically have both their 
health, electronic health records and any genetic testing that's done included in a, in a giant database unless they specifically opt out. Um, but if, if you are going to have a genetic test, you should be asked whether you would consent to have that information used in, uh, in research, although um, often it's part, if you are asked, it's part of a lengthy form that, you know, you might just sign without reading carefully. So I, this, is, this is a situation that's in huge flux right now with uh, very different rules and di- very different practices in different venues in different countries and even from hospital to hospital or research setting to research setting about what the person whose genetic data is being collected is, um, has to be told and what they have to be asked their permission for. Um, if the researchers decide after the fact, which they often do, that they have a different question that they want to ask. So this whole question of informed consent um, is, like a lot of things about genetic technologies and genetic testing in particular, uh, is being really, um, the practices are being developed and are in great flux right now. Right. Now, I want to go back to Jeff, and I'll be a bit more specific. A mother... Um, who's has a baby uh, is now being tested for something that their caring physicians uh, want to explore using some kind of genetic information. The genetic information relates, of course, to the mother, but it also relates to the child, to the baby. So, how should the family caregivers, if if you think they should, care for their genetic? inheritance data, how should the mothers care for it when it's being collected in the course of medical treatment? Jeff? Well, informed um, choice and a large discussion before any genetic information um, is obtained from anybody, um, from the mother, from the child, is hugely important. And I believe a genetic counselor must be involved. Because the process is complex, the language is complex. But if a child has um, a challenge, um, and in the workup of the challenge, the child is found to have a genetic condition, then the the parents um, might be offered the opportunity to have um, genetic testing, and, and, and opportunity I'm using in scare quotes, um, because sometimes it could be an autosomal recessive condition. In other words, it's a condition where neither parent expresses the gene, but if they inherit a gene from both parents, then it's expressed. So in this situation, indeed, um, the parents might be asked uh, to have genetic testing, and it becomes a situation where the family caregiver is being asked. As long as it's a proper informed choice process, and again, um, echoing what Marcy has said, this will now have implications for the broader family, not just the parents, but relatives, to know their family potentially could be carrying a recessive gene. This can be important in some conditions, things that they want to know. But a large discussion has to, to happen before it sort of goes out there, before you get on this cascade of genetic testing, and then you're not 
sure of what the repercussions are. The, the repercussions and the decision-making down the line should occur before any genetic testing takes place. And that will likely happen in a hospital setting, but it doesn't happen um, in the direct-to-consumer marketing and in a lot of these new technologies. You've emphasized that, and so has Marcy, and I'd like to just come back to that with Marcy just very briefly. Um, This question of making sure that there's a counselor to explain it all to anyone who is being offered genetic testing for any reason seems to me, from what you're both saying, to be fundamental. Marcy, do you agree with that? Absolutely. It is so key. And I think um, there's a real problem because both genetic counselors and many, many physicians groups and um, different kinds of physicians, pediatricians, uh, genetic researchers, there's been professional organizations that have actually issued a whole series of different kinds of statements on different aspects of genetic testing. And what has struck me is that almost all of them, if not all of them, have a lot of cautionary language in them. They say, we don't want to rush into this, we need counseling, Uh, certain kinds of genetic testing should be reserved for uh, particular situations shouldn't become part of routine care. And yet, in again, it's hard to generalize because it's so varied, but in, in so many of these areas, there's a, a, a marketing and commercial dynamic that is so strong that it seems to be rolling right over those cautionary notes from the genetic counselors and from the physicians. Just very quickly back to Jeff. That's basically what you're also saying, isn't it? Is that this is a fundamental part of the, um, what, what I can call the responsibilities of healthcare professionals to make sure that the things that they, the tests they're ordering in this particular context, genetic tests of one kind or another, are actually properly explained by people who really do understand what the implications are in such a way that the person undergoing those tests, regardless of actually who they are, but specifically in the question I asked you, moms uh, and their babies and their children, um, those are fun, that counseling is fundamental. Have I got that right? Absolutely. Uh, Genetic counseling is absolutely fundamental and tends to occur, um, not not always, it should occur always, but tends to occur when a genetic counselor is involved and in a particular clinical setting. But it doesn't occur in situations where it's pre-implantation genetic diagnosis or very rarely, and it doesn't occur in this rapidly emerging genetic testing that's happening um, on the Internet. So it's, 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 it used to be where the case tended to be there was some sort of, of obligation in a professional relationship, but we're getting to a situation where so much of this genetic, as Marcy said, is just, is just coming um, from the Ethernet, and there isn't even a clinical relationship with a genetic counselor or a physician involved. Right. Now, I'm going to stop at that point. 
key point, but we're going to take a break because I want to come back to finalize on this. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guests are Dr. Marcy Donofsky and Dr. Jeff Niska. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. It's time to empower our kids so they can make the best decisions now and later in life. Listen for I Am For Kids Radio with host Mark Papadis. Mark is the founder of the I Am For Kids Foundation, which is a recognized 501c3 charity committed to revolutionizing elementary education in the U.S. Our show helps kids, teachers, and parents to realize the power of identity and help each of us decide who we are and our place in the world. I Am For Kids Radio is heard live Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Question, what's working and what's not working in your life? Though we resolve each year to do things differently and we want what's great for our businesses, our relationships, our health, and more, we don't always know where to turn when life gets tough. That's where Leading Life Large with host Rob Braun comes in. Our show challenges you to reevaluate where you are and keep pushing your way to the success you desire. If you want it bad enough, we can help you turn your life around. Leading Life Large airs Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Marcy Donofsky and Dr. Jeff Niska. Our topic is why family caregivers should care for their family's genetic inheritance data. Now, let's both of you talk about what more you would like to do and to see done to help family caregivers caring for their family's genetic inheritance. Marcy, first of all, what would you like to do to help family caregivers do the caring? Marcy? I think there's a huge need now for um, people to um, have a greater understanding of what is developing and to understand that the situation is changing both technically and in terms of policy. It's changing very, very rapidly. And I think that a lot of caution is in order for any, um, anyone that's making a decision about their own participation in genetic testing in any venue, and uh, anyone who's making those decisions for their families, I would say um, be careful not to believe genetic hype. Be careful not to put too much uh, credence in what people are saying about genes. Make sure you understand that for most, in most circumstances, for most healthy people, um, 
getting a genetic test to predict your risks of various diseases is not going to be helpful. It's a bad strategy for health. So I guess uh, caution and um, starting to learn more about it. Right. Jeff, what more would you like to do to help family caregivers do the caring that's necessary? Jeff? Well, I would like to see more community support for family caregivers through allocation of resources, funds, equipment, so that the family caregivers are able to give the the caring that they can do best and, you know, get the equipment they need so they're the person for whom they're caring can stay at home. And and in order to do this type of thing, we, we need to engage the public in the issues um, of both genetics and family caregiving and look for strategies so that after the public is engaged, the public can voice their concerns and perhaps through regulation, through help, perhaps through health promotion funding, that that this can all occur. But the, the, the citizens have to be involved. Family caregivers, I know, are involved um, in understanding um, the importance um, of all of this. Right. Now, Marcy, back to you. What more would you like to see done by government privacy agencies? And I'm using language there that I probably don't understand properly, but the organizations, government-level organizations in the United States that are concerned with privacy and related matters, what more would you like to see them done to help family caregivers care for the privacy of their family's genetic inheritance? Marcy? Well, you know, there's, there's privacy is an important issue, and there are many other issues at stake here. And I'd actually like to go back to Jeff's point of people being involved as citizens. So we are involved as individuals and as family caregivers, but we're also involved as citizens. And it's a funny thing that we don't think about these issues often as ones that need that kind of engagement, but they do. And I, I think we're actually in a in a time right now vis-a-vis these new genetic technologies that's in a way similar to where we were at maybe in the 1950s with environmental issues. You know, we know there's several things we should worry about. In the 1950s, we knew we should worry about air pollution and we should worry about wilderness preservation, but we didn't understand it as a set of connected issues that we now think of as environmentalism. And I think we actually might be at a similar point in history with regard to genetic technology, we know there's privacy issues, we know there are health issues, um, we know there are uh, issues that have to do with um, even as something as profound as in the possibility, the prospect of a, of a new kind of eugenics where we uh, assign people's worth on the basis of their, of their genes. There's all these very big issues, and I think we're going to have to deal with them as a new sort of site of engagement for people as citizens. I think there's some very basic things that when we have this new, um, what you might call a new biopolitics, that people can ask for, and they, and they should. And those include uh, regulation of genetic testing to make sure that it's only used where it's beneficial and that it's uh, accurate in the sense that the reports and the interpretation are accurate that we can establish legal safeguards um, and strengthen the ones that we do have. There are some already in the United States, but legal safeguards to prevent genetic discrimination and to prevent 
privacy from eroding and civil rights from eroding. And, um, you know, the very basic thing really is what, what Jeff said just before, is um, citizen involvement in setting these kinds of limits and even in, in setting the research and healthcare agendas uh, in terms of, of human genetic technologies. So these are big questions, but I think that we started to talk about them here, and I think we're all going to be hearing a lot more about them in the future. Right. Jeff, what more would you like to see done by hospitals and physicians to help family caregivers care for their family's genetic inheritance? Jeff? Well, physicians, we, again, as Marcy said, we, we can make guidelines. We can have professional guidelines, um, and that helps because then as things go to citizen discussion and citizen debates, then there's a professional practice guideline that a national society of professionals says this is the way we should do it. So whether it's physicians or genetic counselors, we really have to keep updating and pushing uh, these guidelines. However, physicians and probably genetic counselors, we tend not to be political beings. We, we make these guidelines, but we tend not to go the next step in getting these guidelines to the public and promoting further discussion and debate and regulation so that the, the people, we're good for, about taking care of our own patients, but we tend not to be that engaged with citizens in general. Um, and I think we have to do a, a better job at that. Now, just to come back to Marcy, um, is government... Um, the right place for citizens and their activism to go? Or are there other places where they need to go to get the attention to the issues that you were talking about? Marcy, just quickly, what do you think? Well, I do think it's a both and. Um, I think people are going to have to, um, you know, educate uh, each other uh, and work through all of our civil society organizations, through schools, through churches, through public interest organizations, and ultimately, there are some important policies that will need to be put in place. Um, and um, I think the more involved we are and the more uh, democratic and robust processes of consideration and deliberations we have, the better off we'll be. Right. Jeff, the politics, that is to say, you, you were saying that physicians and counselors and people like that aren't instinctively political animals, so to say. Is what you're saying that they need to be more political to get through some of the things that you and Marcy both agree need to be done and urgently? Jeff, what do you think? I think so. I think that um, when, I, when I teach health professionals, you know, the ethics of a good health professional, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or an occupational therapist, I always stress that there are multiple aspects of being good at what we do. And it's not just when we're sitting across from a patient. We have to look at the society in which our, our patients live, and we need to focus on, on health promotion. We need to care about our community, uh, the people living in it. And, and we don't tend to do it. We tend to focus on the person sitting in the chair across from us. And And... You know, I teach this, but I'm not sure my medical students or nursing students or, or any others are uh, 
are have the time and the inclination to make this uh, an important part of their daily activities. Right. Now, unfortunately, we've come to an end to the end of this. I think profoundly important episode. And what you both stressed is that new thinking is required to cope with all the new things that genetic testing is presenting to us. Benefits as well as challenges, but particularly challenges. And obviously I hope that um, this particular episode and more like it will be useful in raising awareness that the discussions, uh, the explorations, the analyses, and eventually the actions are going to be taken um, because they're important, because they matter, and because, as you both implied, there is a history uh, in North America and elsewhere which should give us pause to say we need to address this situation before it gets out of hand. Now, that again is me lecturing, and I apologize to you, but that, I think, is the value of talking in small p political political terms about an issue which affects virtually all of us and affects the way that people like you, Marcy and Jeff, do your work. So thank you very much for all that you've said, your insights and your advice, and I wish you both and your organizations, all success in your work. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Horses Help Canada and Wounded Warriors. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful.